Sorry, assholes, your quiet day at the office is about to get severely fucked up. Guys, welcome back to the After Action Review. You know me, I'm Nick Guy, the world's most okay Green Beret. And as per usual, we have more than okay guests. Today, you guys are always talking about Spiritus Strip. I have Spiritus Strip. Uh, you, you've seen the posts on Instagram, you see them on Facebook, you see them on Twitter. Everybody's flexing with it. So today we have Adam Holroyd, the founder of Spiritus Systems, and Adam, thanks so much for joining us, brother. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to, to be on here. So, basically, before we get in, um, 90, I, every guest I've had on here is military. You're no exception. That's, somebody, that's something I didn't know. That's something that a lot of people um, that, that follow Spiritus and buy Spiritus and use Spiritus knows. So, I mean, just give us a, a quick walkthrough of, of uh, your time in. Yeah, sure. So, uh, I was, you know, I graduated high school in 2005. Um, I knew, I pretty much knew that I wanted to, to be in the military. Uh, kind of sniffed out my options there uh, and landed uh, my decision with the Army. Um, joined the Army on a... Um, just like a standard 11 Bravo uh, contract, um, you know, completed basic training, all that nonsense, and was stationed up at Fort Drum, uh, so the 10th Mountain Division. So I deployed into uh, Afghanistan um, as like Joe Shit, the Rifleman, um, in 2007, and that would be that would prove to be kind of a defining. Uh, deployment kind of defining time in my life um, so we were essentially you know we deployed into northern Afghanistan into the well northeastern uh, Kunar province uh, Cornwall Valley Pesh River Valley you know names that people know now but at the time no one had any idea uh, kind of where those places were including myself um, deployed there and we spent you know our battalion spent um, 16 months on the ground. Uh, our battalion was the first battalion to start uh, kind of executing the whole combat outpost strategy. Uh, the, at our time, the Lieutenant Colonel battalion commander in charge was the one who, you know, that was kind of his brainchild, um, as I understand it. It was kind of his, his uh, doctrine that he was trying to implement. Um, I think it was a good doctrine, but it was, it was really hard on um, on the regiment because we were, you know, we were just out in the middle of nowhere, um, no support at all, right? Uh, at that time, if you remember that time, it was the large focus was still Iraq, right? The, pretty much the entire army was focused on Iraq, and there was like this small um, contingent of uh, of army and, and Marines in the in uh, the Afghan theater, kind of holding it down there. But uh, it was, you know, it was a it was a it was a defining deployment because it really taught me a lot about, you know, just warfare in general. And, uh, and we really were, we were filling, filling this kind of weird, this kind of weird role um, where, you know, we were, we had a combat outpost and we were, you know, we, we had a, a Kandak of Afghan army with us. And so really we were fulfilling this kind of train, advise and assist role uh, with this Kandak the entire um, that entire deployment, it was a very kinetic, the regiment lost, um, you know, almost 30 guys during that time. Yeah, it, it was just rough. And I mean, it was really a lot of that Pesh River Valley, Corngall Valley. Uh, I mean, we just rooted ourselves into main supply line, um, valleys, 
we just were a pain, right? We were just there being a pain. Uh, so I came back from that. Um, I actually was, I was getting a soda out of a soda machine in my barracks and there was an ad for like the battalion reconnaissance platoon. Uh, so, you know, at that moment I decided that, you know, this, I just wanted to do something else. Right. I just wanted to try something else. So I went to their selection, uh, and I passed that. Um, and then it was kind of like a whirlwind of that year long, you know, the regular army, we pulled 16 months. We were back for barely 12 before our advon was already redeployed back to Afghanistan again. Uh, we went right back to the same theater. Um, so it was like kind of a nightmare for a lot of guys. I was happy to go back to Afghanistan instead of Iraq, to be honest with you. But uh, deployed back in second deployment with the reconnaissance platoon as a sniper team leader. Uh, you know, that rotation was definitely not as kinetic, but it had, you know, some notable things like our, our battalion, specifically our platoon was part of uh, the response to cop Keating. Okay. So, if you know, yeah. the whole red platoon, you know, cop Keating story, uh, which was also a kind of a defining moment uh, in my life, right, is just seeing, you know, you see a lot of the wins in the military, not a lot of people have seen the losses. And that one was a, I mean, from so many levels, that was such a, a catastrophic failure uh, in terms of, you know, it, it wasn't a win for us, that's for sure. Uh, so that deployment, you know, closed that one out. And I was actually stop loss that entire year. So I missed my stop loss. I, made, I missed my ETS date, my original one, by one day. Yeah, one day, man. And they would not let me out. But I'm glad they didn't, honestly. I'm glad they didn't because – uh, there are a lot of people relying on me still, you know, at that time in a leadership position. The Army was having a real hard time retaining uh, its mid-level, you know, sergeants and, and uh, staff sergeants in the, in the Army. So I'm glad that I stayed, but uh, it was a year I got back. And, you know, the Army doesn't give you a lot of choices for, like, they don't give you any decompression time to say, hey, you know, let's give this guy 30 days to figure it out or something. They were basically like, you either have to re-enlist now or you got to get, you just got to, you got to get out. And so I decided to get out. Um, I went back to uh, South Dakota where my, at the time, my fiance was, was still living. That's where I'm from, South Dakota. And I uh, went back um, there and, uh, you know, did some, some different jobs, went to school for a little bit. Uh, nothing really, it just wasn't the same. You know, I was still too young. I got off the train too early. Uh, so I went back and I contracted for the state department. Okay. Um, and I was uh, doing the, I basically went over on, you know, some, some bullshit, like security, uh, the, the emergency response. Is that the know, WIPS program? Yeah, it's on WIPS. Yeah, I was a WIPS, okay. you know, I have like my WIPS accreditation, but I wasn't on a mobile team. Okay. Um, I was on a, uh, like a, basically a QRF element, right? Or CAT team sometimes or call that stuff. But so I was, uh, I was on that. Um, but I didn't last long there. Uh, it was just, uh, it just wasn't for me, right? The job, there's a lot of guys who are really into that personal close protection stuff. Uh, I just found it to be pretty mundane. The, the you know, the, um, the people you're dealing with are diplomatic, you know? So they're, they're diplomats. They're just, can, I mean. You can say it. We drag them on, t on Twitter all the time. You can call them nerds. That's what they are. Yeah. I mean, they're nerds. They're, I mean, they're very, like, they're very rude. And the whole time that I was uh, contracting, you know, you see these people and you are the proof that their, you know, their diplomacy is not working, right? The yeah. fact that one USAID representative, in order for them to travel even a mile in Kabul, they have to have 14 heavily armed, like, you know, killers get in vehicles and, you know, whatever, just to, just to kind of do that. Uh, it's the proof that, that they're not, it's not working. And so they hate you for it because you're literally, they, they have to look at it every day. The big walls around the embassy, the, you know, the fact that there's layers upon layers of security just to keep them safe. I mean, so it wasn't for me. So I got off that contract uh, and I, I was able to land a really interesting contract with the Department of Defense uh, doing you know, like a battlefield consulting type, um, type of thing in Afghanistan, uh, fielding equipment, 
uh, like, you know, rapid um, fielding initiative type stuff, uh, which was really, really fun because we were doing, uh, you know, basically going out to all the outposts, kind of doing assessments on what they needed, fielding equipment to those outposts, uh, you know, just trying to get them stuff that, you know, generally they just wouldn't have. It was funded, you know, it's just funded in a different stream. So, yeah. you know, talk about equipment needs and stuff like that. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the history. I just, you know, that's it. I mean, really. I mean, it, that's, you know, in the, in kind of the span of a few years, that's still a hell of a history. I mean, that's, it, it, there was a lot going on there. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, I think people discount a lot of times, uh, their service. You know, I have a lot of guys I served with who, uh, you know, they're like, oh man, I was just, uh, I was just this, you know, this or that. And it really is. I learned over the, over the years that it's more about what you, it's deeds, not words kind of situation. And you can have all the certificates and schools and everything, but if you never had the opportunity to use any of that stuff, uh, what does it matter for one? And two, there's the, some of the best and most qualified people that I've met. Um, they're just, you know, that's at their core. It has, it doesn't have nothing to do with really where they've been, but more so with who they are as a person. So, I mean, I experienced that a lot, especially contracting the, I'm, I'm just going to say it the most, the most insufferable people. on contract were those with who honestly is you know the the best dude on the team you know no hands down absolutely it's just <clears throat> it's a weird dichotomy especially with those personality types um but you're absolutely right i mean god some of the most squared away dudes i know they don't have a whole lot of certificates to hang on their wall but god damn they get after it when it mattered so sure that's got to count for something. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the, you know, that 2007 deployment was so kinetic. It was kinetic in a way that I don't think a lot of people in this conflict have experienced, you know, the, the Korngal Valley, Bella Aranis and um, the Pesh River Valley, there was not one day that entire deployment where one of those outposts were not in, in a decisive contact situation, or at least one of their elements. Um, I mean, there was, there was hardly a day that I didn't fire some sort of weapon, you know, I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty remarkable from, you know, it's, it also teaches you a lot about uh, just, like I said before, warfare. And uh, as a leader, it really did instill a lot of this kind of, the, the seeds were sown during that deployment that really started Spiritus. Uh, because it was, a, you know, it was a lot of brilliance in the basics type stuff, right? Uh, you know, again, it's like maintenance of weapons, your own maintenance, your physical fitness, your equipment, accountability, like all of these things, they started to matter uh, because my life depended on it. Not just because I had a sergeant telling me to do it. It was like, if I don't clean, you know, if I don't clean the 50 cal after every patrol, the 50 cal doesn't work. And if it doesn't work, we, somebody might die fucking I mean, that's just, yeah exactly it's like we might not survive a contact uh, and the enemy was very tenacious during that um you know they they were able to you know they were able to get us a couple times with you know in, in decisive engagements you know really really large ieds i mean just things like you know they were they were very smart uh capable enemy uh and we did struggle um at points to to kind of combat that with limited resources. I mean, if we were going somewhere, somewhere we were walking, you know, and, and it's Afghanistan. So, and there's no helicopters coming with any supplies, any resupplies. So, you know, we were purifying water out of mountain streams. I mean, a lot of our planning was based around uh, how far we could walk with how much weight. Um, I was a, a RTO for a large portion of that deployment. Um, so every patrol I was carrying, you know, my radio, uh, the 117 Fox, so double batteries, right? Um, an embitter plus batteries for my lieutenant, right? And then I also never, you know, it's, it's just a personal pride point. I never, you know, we had a, a standard loadout for the machine gun and for the mortars as well. So each, each guy carries a hundred round belt and two 
uh, you know, sixties. And it's just, I just would carry that too, you know, young, I was very young. So it's, you know, physically fit, but uh, it was a lot of those lessons learned about packing equipment, how equipment works, how uncomfortable stuff gets, uh, what guys actually want and need based off of like, just the actual experience, you know, of being in the mountains. No, hands down. And one, you don't need to tell me how heavy radio shit gets. <laughs> I'm, I'm an 18 echo. I'm, oh, okay. I'm so, a, you know, I'm, for sure. I'm the comms guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's the, it's, you have to do everything everybody else does, but carry like exactly. 40 more pounds of stuff. Yeah. Um, now, I, we're, I want to get to like those lessons learned and how, how Spirit is, was kind of founded, but I'm interested because you you fell in during a period of GWAT where there weren't really lessons learned yet. Like you said, this was no. like the beginning of, of the cop strategy. Let's put a let's put a fucking fire base in a valley that's just yep. surrounded by enfilade fields of fire and just let them come to us. In hindsight, that's a stupid, stupid idea. Um I had the benefit because I, I'm a little bit younger and I didn't enlist until I was, I was uh, older. I had all the benefit of all those lessons learned sure. uh, when, I, when I deployed in support of GY. <clears throat> back then, there were no lessons learned. Back in, you know, 07, we, we'd really only been fighting that war for, what, five years? Yeah. And Yeah, conventionally, for sure. Yeah. And everybody knows Afghanistan is the graveyard of empires. Everybody knows that. You know, yeah, all sure. you have to do is open up a history book and realize anybody that's ever tried to occupy, anybody that's ever tried to invade has failed. So going back through that and looking at that, I mean, you, that first deployment, I, what, I mean, were you, were you junior enlisted? Were you an NCO yet for that first deployment? Oh no, I deployed, I deployed into Afghanistan as a, as an, I think I deployed in as an E2. Yeah. So oh, wow. I was junior. Yeah. I'm, I'm talking private status. I mean, I wasn't even at Fort drum for, I wasn't even there for a year before, you know, I went from basic to drum to deployment, you know, very, very rapidly. Now, uh, go ahead. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, so it was back to what you're saying, the strategy was new because at that time, we had this, you know, we had soft go in initially, you know, we, you hear all these amazing stories about the, the agency and Green Berets essentially wrangling um, the Northern Alliance and, and, and fighting back, right, as best as they could. Uh, and, I, and, and there's a lot of people who would say that that's probably the way that the war should have been handled in entirety, right, is that the conventional side should have never, um, you know, come into this conflict. I, I would say that there's a hybrid solution. That's what I think probably would have worked the best. Um, but, you know, what happened was the conventional military, I shouldn't just say the army, the conventional military was going to get theirs. There's no way a decade of war was going to go by without every single officer, um, you know, not getting his experience, which, you know, which is in one way, it's kind of funny to say, but it's also important. If there is a conflict going on, you want your leadership to understand what that means. Uh, so, I mean, I, I mean, I definitely agree with you. I think the strategy was, was fresh. It was new. At that when time. you went, <clears throat> when you went in, I mean, like I said, we, we'd only been in Afghanistan, at least conventional side for five years. I mean, yep. did you have the benefit of, you know, you, you're talking about those officers that wanted their experience, but did you have the benefit, maybe not so much that PL, but, your NCOs. I mean, had they, had they been exposed to combat up until that point or no? Yeah, no, I, I actually was, uh, I was very fortunate on that deployment. My, my from my uh, company commander down, we had, I had very, very strong leaders. Uh, I had, you know, I had a very excellent team leader. He was killed on that deployment, but he was an excellent team leader. Um, I had, you know, uh, my lieutenant, was an excellent, excellent lieutenant. Uh, he was also killed on that deployment. Um, and then, you know, the lieutenant that replaced him is when I became the RTO. Uh, he, you know, he was a, he was a very good leader, a very strong leader. Um, and uh, so, I mean, I had like a lot of mentorship, right? But also 
pretty much all of the E5s and E6s of that deployment were, you know, junior enlisted or, or privates previously in Iraq, right? Okay. Not a lot of people had Afghanistan experience, which really bit us in the ass in a way, but uh, they were, so we did have combat experience, although not to the same level. Um, and, and it's interesting how that affected some guy. We had, we had two kind of uh, leaders or two kind of like veterans of a, of a conflict in, in our uh, battalion. We had those who had served in Iraq who then got into Afghanistan and recognized very quickly that this was a different animal and adapted to that. And then we also had a bunch of guys who uh, mentally collapsed very quickly uh, physically collapsed, honestly, on some of the movements because they were expecting a very different kind of war, right? They were expect. I mean, we had guys pack like Xboxes in their tote boxes, right? And then all of a sudden, uh, we were living on the side of a mountain for 45 days in a foxhole. I mean, a literal two-standard foxhole, you know, like we, we were just in place, and so it, these guys were, I think a lot, I mean, there was a lot of psychological effects from being deployed for 16 months, right? Guys, and I didn't realize as a, as a junior enlisted guy with really, you know, I had my girlfriend back home. I didn't have anything else. I didn't have a house. I didn't have kids. I didn't have a dog. I didn't have a mortgage. So I was like, I don't understand why everybody's having such a hard time. Now that I'm older and I understand some of the psychological pressure that a guy can be under, I really do. I am amazed by some of my leadership, you know, like they have, they were going through divorces, you know, uh, people had kids who were sick, you know, there was, there was a lot of stuff going on mentally um, that they were, you know, they were dealing with the harshness of that deployment, but also their life was falling apart back in the States and there was nothing they could do about it. I mean, we were on a, at the best, we were at a seven day rotation to where we could rotate back to Asadabad for one day. And we could, you know, do laundry, eat hot chow, take a shower, you know, service our trucks, pick up mail, that kind of thing. And then we went back out. That was the best case scenario. Uh, more, you know, I think it was more normal for us to be out longer than that. Uh, but, you know, it was, it was rough on guys for sure. And that's, that's kind of a, that's a really underreported, undertold story of Afghanistan, at least from that period. Sure. Because uh, everything coming out, you know, people, people have this idea of fobs and people expect, people expect ODAs to go out and live in the shit. Like yeah. they expect, they expect SF teams to do that. They don't expect like an entire company of infantry dudes to do that anymore. And sure. you, you know, outside of maybe reading a few books on the matter, um, uh, there was a one documentary um, about Korangal. Um, oh, Restrepo? Restrepo. Yep, that was Which the 173rd. They replaced us, actually both deployments. Okay. And and that was definitely more that, you know, that cop living, which is still really shitty. Just yeah. really shitty living. But, yeah. you know, outside of, like, reading certain things, I don't think people realize that. Like, dudes, were, you're right. Like, we're living in, in no shit foxholes. And that's, yeah, it was, that's it was weird. It was weird. I mean, it was, uh, I describe sometimes to, to people when they, you know, when they want to hear about it, um, just like the living conditions and the, and just, you know, every day it wears on you mentally. And, and, and this is nothing new. I mean, we know about combat stress. We know uh, how people manage, you know, manage some of these things, but uh, I can just recall instances of seeing, you know, completely capable, completely, uh, you know, mentally stable, you know, men reach the limit of what they, you know, mentally could, could handle, you know, it was just too much. The fear was too much, the, you know, and it was just, and there was, I mean, there was just times where I saw extreme cases of valor that no one will ever hear about, you know, it's, it's very hard for a conventional side Pretty much, a, it's a, for an, in order for a conventional army dude to get anything above like an ARCOM, is somebody has to be in trouble essentially. If you notice all the Medal of Honor, you know, recipients like in the army, it's very embarrassing how we handle uh, awards in the army. Uh, everybody has this 
this idea that what they're going through isn't as bad as what a guy in Vietnam went through, or you're just doing your job or whatever, you know? So it's, it's kind of this, this weird thing. But I, I mean, I witnessed, uh, I witnessed a lot on that deployment that really affected who, you know, where I, where I wanted to be and what I wanted to do uh, with Spiritus and, and kind of collecting the right people to make this happen. No, absolutely. All right. So lessons learned between humping all that shit up and down the Afghan mountains, what works, what, what doesn't, what's comfortable, what wears, what digs in going through the, the rapid fielding, uh, uh, of equipment. Uh, when, when you did your, your DOD, uh, uh, contracting side, what, what was the impetus for spirit systems? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that the, the first deployment was when I, I mean, my whole life I've always been, uh, I've always been like, I, everybody always says like, it's so cliche, like out, they're into the outdoors, right? Uh, I grew up in Colorado um, with, you know, my dad was really into hiking and camping and fishing. And so I was just outside a lot. Um, and that's when I learned, I started to learn that there was, there were these things that can make your life easier or better out, you know, when you're out in the wilderness, right? Like, I mean, I think my dad bought, the first one of the first dome tents you know with like the flexible poles that come apart that yeah, that yeah, run, it, yeah. it was i think the brand was hillary you know hillary obviously mount everest stuff like that so it was kind of cool that uh i exp started experiencing that at a young age and i was always just like it kind of got me into equipment even at a young age i was always impressed with like somebody invented something that's just to make your life easier right uh and then i got into afghanistan where at first we were only, you know, regular, regular army. It was like, you will use the things that the regular army issued you, you know? Uh, but that, that went out the door very quickly when we, when our command element was also stuck out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, I mean, I remember very, uh, very vividly, our company commander essentially said, look, you guys can purchase hiking, like actual mountaineering boots. It's, it's going to come out of your own pocket, but, you know, you can do it. So I went and I immediately uh, bought some uh, – or Oslo, is that how you say it? I don't even know. Solo, yeah. yeah. A solo uh, boots, like I, – I mean, like, this is 2007, right? Nobody even heard of a boot like that. And we were just – you know, our, our platoon sergeant was like, hey, I found these boots. They're good. If you want to buy them, you can. So, you know, it kind of started there of really the backpacking – and mountaineering, they've already figured a lot of this stuff out, right? And so I started purchasing things. Uh, to, you know, I'd find a problem. I'm like, man, I wonder if there's a solution. Uh, you know, throwing out my canteens for Nalgene bottles. You know, just like these little things that improve the quality of life. Uh, and I considered myself to be a professional. Um, even at a young age, I was like, this is, my, this is my only job. This is my only function in life. So purchasing a piece of kit you know, people make fun of you. You're the gear queer. They say, you know, you have all the cool stuff. I'm a professional is actually what it is. And I care about my, you know, um, a, a saying that I like is how much is your life worth? You know, like, is it worth it to you to have a sleeping bag that is more comfortable? So you're more well rested. Uh, so that's where I started to uh, really get like that first deployment was when I really started augmenting my kit with things that are already pre-made. Mm -hmm. And this was like, you know, Spiritus was a far, I didn't even know what I wanted to do with my life at that point. Um, second deployment was where I started modifying equipment or like that time in between and that second deployment. So I, uh, you know, we got issued the IOTV like vest. This thing was like this gargantuan piece of shit. Uh, I was so, I was so upset um, at the RFI, you know, like loadout at Fort Drum when they issued the vest to us, they did this big like presentation and they flopped this thing out on the desk. And I looked at the guy in front of my entire chain of command at the battalion level. And I said, are you serious? And they all like, I just saw every one of them, like Sergeant major, like just looking at me, like, I'm going to kill you if you say anything or, you know, and I was, I was so pissed off though, that we were about to get issued this, you know, I knew we were going back to Afghanistan they told us we were getting a new plate carrier. I figured any reasonable person who knew what we just went through, you know, we had the interceptor 
body armor IBA, right? The the one that closes like a like an actual vest, right? You like put yeah. it on and like it has the three snaps on it or whatever. I uh, we had just worn that for for sixteen months and it was garbage. And then now they were handing us something that was worse. We were going in the wrong direction, and that was it. Stunned me in a way that like I had trusted the army for some I don't know why, but I had trusted the army to like do the right thing. And they had given, they gave us this IOTV and I was so upset with it that I took it back um, to my barracks room and I started to figure out how do I make this not as bad as it is. So I like, I mean, I did things that I probably should not have done, but I, I like, I mean, I cut pieces off. I like, I took like the, the, um, the frag lining out of it. Uh, it just had plates in it. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't have like the Molly cummerbund or side plates on the sides. I just had the elastic. I wore a chest rig instead. You know, it's like, I just, I had all these lessons learned. Um, and our new Sergeant major was actually, he'd come out of Ranger battalion. Right. And so he, in his skew, he would had such a fucked up opinion on equipment because his deployment had been so much, his experience was so much different, but who am I to like, look at this guy and say, Hey man, this whole idea you have about equipment is fucked up. Like we're not going into, I call it war tourism, right? Where you basically, and I'm not taking away from any Rangers deployment, right? Because it's just a different job. Those guys are, they're, you know, they're at a higher level of training. They have more funding. They have a selection process that they can get rid of people who don't belong there. And they, you know, they have a very specific mission, very pointed mission. Um, we are not any of those things. We're going to be walking the mountains on our, you know, like literally just boot leather express and we're going to be carrying all of our own weight it's and there's unsexy. no helicopters. It's unsexy. Yeah, it's not sexy. It's the... But I mean, to me, it's the, I mean, our, our whole function was to walk the mountains to try to outwit the enemy and literally kill as many, as many of those fucks as we could. And it was, you know, that it was just a different, it was just a difference in opinion, but he really wanted us to have all of our pouches mollied directly to our vest. Right. Which anyone in Afghanistan knows, dude, you're going to be, you're going to stop and you're going to dig into a patrol base. And you're going to want to take your pouches off. You're going to want to have a chest rig so that when you're digging a hole or when you're just on guard, just kind of like chilling, you know, at an OP or something, you're not going to want to have all that weight on you 24 hours a day. What he didn't realize is that, you know, we don't, we don't deploy like Ranger Regiment. We don't go to Jalalabad and, you know, wait for a target packet to come down. I'll jump on a, a couple of Chinooks and fly to an objective walk a kilometer, assault it, and then leave. That's just not how the conventional force fights a war. And historically, it's not how they're ever going to fight a war or have ever fought a war or ever will fight a war, right? It's, uh, it's just not the same. And so we, you know, that, I started picking up these nuggets of like, you know, it doesn't matter what the, the sergeant major really thinks. You know, he's not, he doesn't know. It's not that he's stupid. He just has never experienced it. And so then I, I just started thinking about, that experience that I have or have had and that a lot of guys just don't understand. And you probably have seen it. Guys don't understand equipment. You see a guy and he's uncomfortable all the time and it's because all of his straps are loose and his rucksack is like sitting too low and his helmet's on backwards. And you're like, you're, you are causing all this pain to yourself because you don't understand the equipment. I, that's when I really understand all these modifications I'm doing and guys were seeing it, right? They're like, man, what is, I took like a, a duffel bag and I cut it, I cut a big chunk out of it. And then I sewed the duff, like I sewed like a placard, right? Like a hand stitched with fishing line, like a three mag shingle placard on the front of my IOTV, right? Just to try to trim it down, make it smaller. And I, I carried multiple weapon systems. So the pouches, you know, were a little baggy. So I could fit, you know, my, my AR mags or I could fit like, the um, 110 mags in there right mm -hmm. so that's kind of where it really you know that's when I started experimenting with building my own stuff I got out and I still was tinkering around but nothing serious uh, and when it really uh, when it really came back around was 
when I deployed with the DOD in 2014, um, doing that, you know, fielding that equipment, I actually had the opportunity to link up with a longtime friend of mine uh, in Afghanistan who had joined the army late, late in life. And he was deployed down in Kandahar. And so I met up with him and I was so shocked to see that, like, you know, I got out in 2010. It's, you know, it's now 2014. He's deployed and he's still wearing the same IOTV, same garbage. Like we haven't learned any lessons. We haven't done any research. We haven't asked, you know, all they have to do is ask a private, like, Hey man, you like this vest? And he will fucking tell you that he does not like it. And so I was so shocked and we started talking about it. And I told him like, I kind of, Hey, I want to do this thing. I, I think we should do this. I've known him for a really long time. Like since, like since literally like kindergarten, like age, you know, like really, really long time. And uh, I was like, we need to start, you know, we, we should start something, you know, and we didn't really know what it was. It was kind of organically happening. Um, but we, we decided that we were just going to do something, whatever it was. So we started off just like the first thing we, cause we were both in Afghanistan. We couldn't like really make anything. So we're like, well, let's just start off with, let's just make like some t-shirts, you know, and we'll just start making t-shirts. So we started making some t-shirts and my, my wife was actually back in uh, South Dakota fulfilling all of these orders, right? And I say all of them. I mean, I think, like, my dad and, like, a couple of my friends and, like, no one who ever cared. Like, you know, it was just, like – and there were, like, some guys that I was contracted with at the State Department who, like, you know, for you know they were just trying to help me out. So, like, that early, like, $800 we made was all just, you know, people we knew. And uh, – and just like for reference, we still had some of those shirts. We like, we had bought so many of those shirts. I think the last ones sold at the beginning of this year, right? <laughs> That's how long those, those things have been haunting us forever. But, but yeah, so we started the company and it was, it's actually three of us, right? So there's myself um, and then Zane, who is, uh, he's also army. He was in the 82nd Airborne. And then my wife is the other partner. So there's three partners who own the company right now. And uh, we're still privately held and, you know, just kind of doing our own thing. But that's how it, you know, that's how it got to this, this point. Um, when I got back, Zane, Zane was still deployed. I got back. I immediately went to uh, Craigslist and looked, I just typed in sewing machine. And I bought, uh, I bought some like home sewing machine off some nice lady on Craigslist. And that's where the first ideas started coming from. I knew from my State Department days that I wanted a small chest rig that, uh, you know, could carry three magazines, but it had to have some way of switching to uh, some kind of sniper weapon system magazines. Um, and I knew it, I just wanted to have a small IFAC and that's it. And that's how the microfight was born is I, I literally just hand jammed a microfight up because it was a deficiency I saw. Uh, we were getting issued these really large, chest rigs, uh, really a good chest rig from Velocity Systems, but just a really, it was big and I, I just wanted something smaller. Uh, so that's how our first, you know, product was kind of born with the microfight was kind of born and just, you know, we, we migrated, you know, is in my attic of my house, completely funded by, by me. We just like, it was just like, I was working uh, at a, um, a radio company so as a, as a sales engineer, so I was making money doing that during the day. And then I'd come home and we would like work for another eight hours, like trying to just produce kit. Then we moved into my garage. We bought like industrial sewing machines. You know, my, my, I couldn't park any vehicles in my garage, completely full of sewing machines, rolls of fabric. You know, we were just learning, right? Uh, making those first products. And then we, you know, uh, I don't remember when, I'm bad with dates, but then we moved out of the garage into where we are now. And we've just kind of been taking over this entire building we're in uh, one kind of area at a time. It's a shared use building. So, um, but yeah, that's how, I mean, that's basically the, the genesis of it. Right. I mean, that's incredible. Um, first off the whole lessons learned with kit thing, hands down. Yes. I did my first appointment. Um, I mean, I wasn't issued an IOTV. I, I don't know if you, if you don't know. I mean, the listeners to this know. I was an 18 expert. I was an SF baby. I didn't, I didn't spend a single day in the Army. Uh, I, I finished basic uh, infantry OSIT airborne, and I immediately went into, the, uh, into selection, the qualification course. 
So I never had to deal with that. However, at a much smaller scale, my first deployment, I didn't, I wasn't really a, a, a gear queer. I wasn't doing anything like that. Some lessons learned from the Q course, little things like the canteens. Canteens suck. You can't, you know, especially, especially if you're living in like an austere environment and your water source is not clean. Yeah. How do you clean it? Exactly. You can't, you can't clean uh, a canteen thoroughly. Um, so like little things like, all right, Nalgene. Okay. Let's get rid of the, the, the one quart holders on your flick and let's throw like some Nalgene. Uh, I think high speed gear made like a Nalgene. Yeah. Yeah. Like yep. It was kind of like a taco style kind sure. of deal. Throw those on your flick. So little lessons learned there just from like, you know, the, the Q course going into my first deployment. Yeah. The issue you. They issue this huge, it is a nice kit. Um, it's Cry's ABS. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, so it's a plate carrier that sits on a harness, and it's really nice. It's super comfortable. Yeah, it's, it's really advanced. It's just, it's big. It's big. Uh, first deployment, we were in and out of, of Hiluxes and yeah. uh, Land Cruisers the entire time, which are not big. No, they're not. And, and that ABS was just massive. So I tried cutting it down. I took the harnesses off, turned it into just like a, a regular plate carrier, but it wasn't really designed for that. So it wasn't super comfortable. So I upgraded to like a uh, uh, Cry JPC. Sure. Threw that on. It was great. It was great for getting in and out of tiny vehicles. It had everything I need. Then I became a JTAC. And all of a sudden I needed way more real i needed more real estate yep um so that's kind of where i i am now um in 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 like trying to perfect kit but you're absolutely right it's just these little lessons me i just don't i just don't have the intestinal fortitude to say you know what fuck it i'm gonna build my own yeah (laughs) Yeah. i mean it's it's a big leap it's a big leap i mean i think you have to you know the reason why spiritus is successful is not it's definitely not because of myself right i mean uh zane is very much uh he is very much a process driven person so you know when we if i come with an idea if i go and i'm very good at like i have a keen eye for looking at somebody and going oh man that why are you carrying that that way you know like body mechanics under just understanding what in that 16 months on that first appointment it flushed out body mechanics for me i understand payloading and like just like how you need to carry the weight to get to go long distance and uh but zane is very good at you know turning something that is just an abstract into reality right and uh we get it all the time a lot of people go hey i just need you to sew this thing onto this thing and i'm like in your mind your mind is very good at making things make sense that don't make sense that's why that's why people buy like powder blue mustangs you know, it's like, why do you, it's like, it's like not, don't do that. But your mind somehow talks you into it. It's the same with like measurements and like people will see things. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's not going to fit. Right. So he's very good at, he's very good at that. He's very good at a lot of stuff. And then uh, my wife is this kind of, you know, this third arm who um, is, I mean, she's, she's basically our operations manager. Right. And she, is very, I mean, again, data, like looking at da- big data, right? Not like stupid data, like big data, like understanding trends and what's selling and what's not. And just all this stuff. I mean, it is so much more than just making the thing, you know? And that's, uh, that's really what makes it into a business. I mean, anybody is an idea guy. Everybody has ideas. I mean, you have ideas all day. You're like, man, I wish there was a, a, a widget that helped me with this or whatever. But it's like, how do you get that thing from the idea all the way to a product that somebody's buying on the internet is really what makes it a business. Right. And it's a, it's a big leap. And we didn't know, we had no experience in manufacturing textiles. Right. It's just, uh, Zane said something really interesting to me early on. He said, you know, I was kind of having a doubt about a product. We were like, I was like, "Ah, I don't know if we can do this or whatever. And he, he was just like, man, he's like, other people have done it. That means that we can do it. You know? And that really, I've, I've used that kind of, uh, that, that phrase over the years, every time I'm kind of hitting a roadblock is like, I'm not doing something new. You know, I'm not doing something that's like, 
like so far out and abstract that I can't do it. Somebody else has done it. Somebody else has sewn textiles. Somebody else has invented textiles. We can invent textile. We can do these things, you know? So it really is that I, I credit our success to this kind of, you know, the base was this triangle of personalities that are very different and that meld well together. And then we are, were able to build a team of people. I mean, we have like some really, really good employees uh, who they, they, you know, they basically, every time I replace one of my jobs, I try to find somebody better than me. Right. It's like, find somebody who embarrasses you, honestly, professionally, like find somebody that you wish you were and have them do that job and just let it go. So yeah, I mean, it's uh, having the idea is the easy part, honestly. It really is. Well, execution is always the hardest part of the mission. It's easy to plan. Mm -hmm. Anybody can plan. Second lieutenants yeah. can plan. That's very true. <laughs> very true. They, they can do that well. They can plan a lot. Is there any sort of irony that you see that you, you design this whole system based off of lessons learned as, as a conventional cat? And just something as simple as, hey, you're going to dig this foxhole. You're going to want to drop armor because you're, you're here for the long haul. You're going to want to institute your rest plan. You're going to want to sure. shit. You're going to want to sit down and eat chow, but you don't want to lose access to your essentials, your radio, your, your ammo. Yep. Is there any sort of irony in the fact that, like, your kit gets lapped up by soft dudes like myself sure. that – like you know you, you you designed it for this and and there's there's some truth to that you know in sf we like to say the only difference between sf and 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 any other soldier is a mastery of the basics doing sure. all the unsexy stuff really well but i mean that's who's <laughs> that's who that's who uses it operationally that's not who's just buying it because there's you, you <laughs> dude the internet is it's it's yeah. funny taking a look into some some corners of the internet. And it is it, a savage place. It, it, yeah, but sure. it but into you know even your customer base, and it's not a bad thing that people buy a kit. It's just maybe not the intended audience. I mean, oh yeah, no, it's totally. We we every time we make something, it, the focus is you know the the actual tactical end user, whether it's you know a soft guy or whether it's a, a police officer or whatever it is, right? That's always the intent, um, but it's definitely not the only customer we have. I mean, there's everywhere. It's it's all the way from, I'd say, like, the far left of the spectrum, which would be, like, the Airsoft kid with his mom's credit card, all the way to, like, you know, the the most tier one guy who buys his own stuff as well. You know, it's like everybody in between is a, is a customer. So, it's yeah. a, I think the irony there, I mean, I think the real, the real point and the thing that I've learned the most is that you're right about the, the mastery and the basics, right? Um, that is what I felt like, you know, being a conventional soldier, I always looked up to the soft counterpart, right? Everybody, you, you kind of whisper when you see a bunch of Hiluxes go by, dudes are in the back with like dual 240s and like sitting on like a recliner or whatever, you know, like, it's just like, you always look at him and you're like, Oh my God, like that, that dude knows everything I know plus more. Right. And what, and what I learned is that that's absolutely true for the guy who is a true, like special operations professional. Right. And you meet, and it's just like everywhere else, there's good people and there's bad people. But the, the difference is, is that I was a, I was always trying to master those basics as a, as a, professional soldier right i was i was very much focused on in our platoon being in a reconnaissance platoon you are focused on small unit tactics that's all you do you know all for for a year-long train up every day you're just patrolling essentially i have principles of patrolling just over and over yeah, and over. just patrolling i mean and it's you know and that in any soldier at whatever level if they're not f familiar with like the fundamentals of patrolling they just can't stack those other tasks on top of it. And so, you know, and that's the thing is seeking out training after the Army as well. Uh, you know, we have a very good relationship with the Direct Action Resource Center down Love in Arkansas. Yeah, and it's, it's helped us out a lot because it's, give, it's given perspective that I didn't have professionally to me, right? Rich has been able to open a door into a world, into his world of experience, honestly, 
and, and any other instructor that he has down there. So it's been a really good resource for us because uh, I can place myself into scenarios that are as close to the real thing. And, and if you, you know, if you've been there, I think you would agree. It's as close to, uh, you know, a, it's a simulation, but it's as close as you can get without actually doing it. Uh, but, the, but the cool thing about being in that simulation is that the concepts of equipment and load-bearing equipment are the same. You know, that's one of the, the, the things that are translated well. You know, there's stuff that isn't translated well uh, in any simulation, but the, the thing that is is equipment. It's easy. I can go down there and participate in all sorts of different types of training uh, personally. I can wear the kit personally, and I can also observe, you know, what guys are doing and how they're wearing their stuff and, and what they need. So that's been a tremendous resource. Uh, but even, you know, Darcy, it still comes down to, you know, following the SOP and the basics of, you know, it's, it's nothing fancy. It really isn't, you know, kind of when you pull the veil back. It's just the guys who do it professionally at the highest tiers, they just are, they just do it all the time, you know, Maybe. all the time. And and they're they're very good at it. I you know I've said it I've said it once before. I, I said it on Twitter. I've said it a million times. I think you when, once you pull that veil out, I think and you realize at least the and I'm not I'm not a DA guy. I'm not I'm not a Crif dude. I'm not a Sif dude. I'm not a Tier One dude. I'm I'm a Line ODA dude my entire career and continue to and will continue to be. Um, I'm not a CQB expert. However. I think it's always it would shock a lot of people just when you when once you pull the veil back, just how slow and methodical and basic things are when it when it's done at the highest levels. I, you know, people have yeah. this idea in their mind, and they do. They they have this this image in their mind, and I don't know where they get it, but that's in, you know it, it's it's it, it'd be shocking for a lot of people, and that's. So, you know, honestly, I think that's kind of cool that you that you kind of have that resource to constantly tinker. Because yeah, kit's important. I wanted to have you on because one, I wanted to hear your story of service because that's something that I hadn't heard. But two, kit is important. It's easy to say, hey, that guy's a, uh, you know, he's a he's a gear queer, he's a geardo or something like that. But it is important. It, it allows you to do your job at the highest sure. levels. So if you know, if you're creating a product that's constantly evolving, I think that's a good thing, especially in my line of work. Yeah. And if you're a professional, I think it's, I think there's no question. Uh, if you're a professional, you seek out the tools that you need. I mean, it's no different than a, you know, a mechanic at a shop, right? Maybe there's a shop set of tools when he gets hired and he's allowed to use that. But over years and years and years, he has accumulated the right tools. And they're not, he's not buying the, the stuff from Harbor Freight. He's buying like Matco tools or Snap-on or whatever. And he's investing in himself uh, because he knows that it's going to make his job run more smoothly, but it's also, he's going to depend on it when he needs to. And, and people, I agree. I always agree with, you'll hear a lot of people on the internet who talk and they'll talk about training, training, training. And I 100% agree. Like if you're not out there attempting to, to do the task, and replicate conditions, you're never going to understand, your body's never gonna understand how to react to it uh, in real life. Um, but you know, if you're also focusing solely on training and you never square away your equipment, you're handicapping yourself in a very similar way, right? It's like, it's just, you know, guys who actually do stuff, they, they just know, you know, like you just know like that's not gonna work. You know, that equipment's not gonna work. Your Condor plate carrier, it's not good enough. It just is what it is. You know, it's a, it's, and I shouldn't have said that on, on this podcast, but it just is what it is. Listen, if I can figure out like, listen, I'm an echo. I should figure out. I'll bleep that. If mm -hmm. I can. Yeah. Bleep that out so that nobody, nobody <laughs> knows who I said. So they'll all think it's them too. <laughs> everybody, know you, everybody knows. I, everybody knows. It's not good enough. It's not, it's not professional grade and you should, uh, you know, and if there's any purchasers listening, Please don't do that to your guys. Please don't. It's it's uh it's something we struggle with a lot uh, with our mostly our law enforcement customers right now. Is uh we will, you know we will we're priced very competitively in 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 my humble opinion. But uh, we 
we are constantly battling purchasers who are like, well, you know, Billy, Billy Bob from whatever company came out, took us to dinner and they're going to give it to us for 50% off of what yours costs. And I'm like, you're really getting what you pay for. I'm telling you, you're getting what you pay for. Um, yeah. So I, I caution others to stay away from, there's a lot of good kit. Spiritus is not the only kit company out there. Uh, there's a lot of really good kit companies out there. Uh, but you know, the, the kind of the, the few that rise to the top, uh, each time are the ones you should probably go with, you know, really. I, I would agree. Um, and it's, it's a small, the, the community that actually uses the product in the real world, they talk, everybody yeah, talks, sure. everybody, has, everybody has their opinion. Um, and, and, and guys have, you know, they can, they can call upon a wealth of knowledge um, in terms of, hey, I, I rock this piece of kit versus, you know, that and it, you know, it worked versus it didn't work. You know, it, it is what it is. Um, and you learn. You, yeah. You, you, you learn. It's, that kind of just goes along the, the foundations of your company of lessons learned. Sure. And, yeah. And that's still what we, you know, so much is based off of you know, either our lessons learned or others. And we, we really don't set out on a path to a product uh, unless there's a need, you know, unless somebody has like, unless through our network, which is pretty extensive now of professional end users who are, who are still out there doing the job, right? That's where we get our, that's where we get our feedback. I mean, we don't, we don't set out on a product just because we think it would be cool. Uh, everything you see that comes out, somebody, there is an end user somewhere that probably got the first prototype batch of that and did batch testing or whatever for us. So that's kind of how, you know, that's how it works for us, right? If somebody will, a user will come with a problem set. Um, and if it's in line with kind of where we're going as a company, then we will, uh, you know, we will accept that as kind of a challenge. We'll, we'll try to come up with the piece that works and then we'll start producing it um, for prototyping. And then, when it's all kind of flushed out, then we will, we'll produce it and sell it. And we, we have very few items that are not sold to the public. So basically if we, if we make it, we, we try to post it for, for use with the exception of anything that is sensitive, obviously, or uh, anything that we just think like the guy is not going to be able to afford to have an Islid, you know, so he doesn't need an Islid pouch. So I see it sitting behind you. What's that? Oh, that Islid? That little guy? That little guy? That little guy right there? That, that's a nice that's a nice little one too. That's not no, that's, that's not the uh, the lightsaber. Yeah, that's not the big one. No, that's uh that's actually an inert model. So just uh in case Mr. Mr. Matt Myers is watching this, that I have that on bailment from B. E. Myers uh, <laughs> for photography. So I, I definitely don't want anybody to think that we have uh, you know some falling off the truck property sitting there. But no, you're absolutely right. You know, it's, you know, it's, it's know, know your audience. And that's, it's kind of cool to know that, that there's, there's still consideration being done for, especially those higher end users, like somebody that might have a need for it. Yeah. The public does, like you said, the public really need an Islet or an inert to complete their airsoft loadout. Probably not. Probably not. Yeah, probably not. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I don't know if you've seen, we've been, We've been getting hit pretty hard on, uh, you know, our inventory right now, our stocking. Uh, one of the biggest challenges we have, you know, the internet is a sewer. It's an absolute sewer. I mean, it is just garbage, hot garbage. So we're, we're constantly combating, uh, you know, people's opinions, essentially. And it's, uh, well, you know, the weirdest stuff with people are just, they'll, you know, I got a comment the other day and it said, it just said, uh, make more stuff. Like, I don't know. It's like, just make more. And I'm like, Oh my God. I mean, it, we got to hire this guy for our, you know, we got to replace our operations because he gets it. You just got to make more stuff. You know, it's like, we are making, we are at max capacity. I mean, we have sewers working overtime. We have, you know, they like it, we are just churning products out, but it does not matter. Uh, it does not matter how much we increase our volume. I mean, we're trying to, you know, we can only increase at such a rate, right? There's space, there's machines. We have to train the sewers, you know, all this stuff has to happen in order to get just one sewer in the door. But, you know, even, even when we double our output, 
we just sell out of everything. The minute we post it, it just sells out. I've noticed. Yeah, it's very difficult right now. We're working on it though. I mean, that's the, I guess if there was a message is that we're, that's, that's Zane's realm. That's really heavy into Zane's realm. There's not a day that goes by that he isn't working on some part of the company that is, you know, basically increasing our capacity in some way, right? Uh, COVID has been a little bit of a detriment, uh, mainly on supply line. We've been open this whole time, but I mean, we, a lot of the mills are not open. A lot of the factories that make stuff that we consume are not open. And so that, you know, that's definitely been affecting some of our supply chain as well uh, lately. That's business. That's, yeah, it is. Yep. And you're, and you're not the only one. So. Oh yeah, for sure. No. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's good for us. I mean, I'm glad that every time we, I think we posted uh, a couple hundred multicam plate bags, right? Sets. And I mean, those things went out of stock in like 45 minutes. And it was just, that was such an incredible thing to me because it was the largest number we had ever produced. And I mean, I think it was so large that it eclipsed like the last three productions that we had done. And we still just sold out. It's just been, it's just insane. We cannot, we just can't grow fast enough. You know? it, it's, it's a, well, you've got yourself a cult following. I mean, you sure. really do. Um, which is awesome. That's, that's great for you. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it always, it always makes me laugh when I see something drop and I'll log on two days. It's gone. gone. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I could, yeah, I could use that. And boop, it's gone. gone. Yep. We're, uh, I mean, we have some cool stuff that we're, so back panel, that's another thing, I guess you heard it here first. You heard it here first. That thing is, uh, it is different than any other back panel that's ever been built. It's different in a lot of different ways that I, I couldn't possibly articulate, uh, you know, like without showing you, like having an example, but it's, it's basically like this hybrid concept of, you know, my, again, what I noticed is we have these very defined back panels between, you know, you have like your backpack, everybody has like a backpack. They follow kind of the same uh, recipe, right? There's the backpack, there's the Molly, and then there's like the assault panel. And those are kind of like your three flavors, right? Uh, but if you're wearing the assault panel, you're kind of limited because it's, def it's very defined. It's for a very specific direct action Roll stack and somebody yeah. behind you needs a flashbang. Yep, that's the name, assault panel, and that's what you're doing. You're assaulting, right? Uh, the Molly one, you know, Molly just sucks because it's extra material, but it's awesome because you can configure it however you want. And then you have the pack, which I, I see a lot of guys defaulting to the pack because it's just like, just throw stuff in it, whatever, you know? Um, you can just throw whatever in it. And ours is like, a, it's a hybrid. It's definitely a hybrid, it's modular. So it has a removable flap system on the top. So you can have an assault flap on there that can hold flashbangs. You can have a GP flap. That's just a big GP pouch. We have a Molly flap in the works. So you can, if you have a special kind of flashbang or, you know, whatever, you want to put a bunch of thermobarics up there or something, you can have that yourself. It can carry tools, but it's also converts into a pack, right? So it, it has a beaver tail that pops out to allow you to fit tools in it. But this beaver tail is the width of the entire back panel. Mm. So you can, you know, you could stuff like your entire puff top in there. Uh, you could put a 117 golf in there if you wanted to, right? So it's, uh, we wanted to make this kind of hybrid um, panel that like, you know, you can get a lot of use out of the same panel regardless of your position on the team, right? Uh, so it's, that is going to be, it took longer than we'd hoped. We definitely were hoping that that was going to be out um, the end of quarter two. Uh, but we, some good news today that it, it's basically finalized and it's getting, it's getting prepped into sewing now, which means that the needles are about to drop on fabric and it is however long it takes to produce the first run is what it's going to be. Uh, so it's, that's really good news. I mean, that means they're right around the corner pretty much. Well, the, uh, the Spirit of Symptoms Facebook group will be very happy to hear. Yeah, they're going to be very excited. I'll post that. Hey, if you want to find out about the back panel, uh, listen to the podcast. Perfect. Yeah. All new users, all new listeners. I love yeah. it. There you go. Well, brother, I don't want to keep you too long. I, I really appreciate it. You sitting down and sharing your story because 
again, it, it's not something I've heard. I'm sure it's not something that most people who even use your products have heard. Sure. Um, it adds a lot of context in, into, into your current line of work, which is always good to know. It's, it, it's good to know, you know, if anybody's looking to buy kit or upgrade kit that, that it's coming from a place of lessons learned and they're done that. And not only that, but constantly, you know, evolving, you know, with, with access to uh, uh, programs like Darcy. So that, that's incredible. So can't thank you enough. Uh, guys, thanks for watching slash listening, no matter how you're consuming this. If you're watching on YouTube, God, I hate saying it, but like, comment, subscribe, because it, it, helps, it helps spread the, with the algorithms to, to put my shit on, the, uh, on, on home pages. Uh, if you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to uh, podcasts, um, give me a five-star review, leave a comment. Adam, can't thank you enough, brother. Yeah, well, I appreciate you taking the time to have me on here. Hey, take care.